Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Signpost In Podcast. I'm Brandon, your host, and today I'm joined by my regular co-hosts, Matt and Peter. Welcome, guys. Hey, it's good to see you guys. Yeah, good to see you, Brandon and Matt. Yep. We are, uh, we're here on the back porch to today talk about um, the gospel of sin management. Um, I think we also talked about it being called the self-help gospel. So we're going to talk about what it is, uh, what are some different ways to think about it, um, whether we like it or not, just just to have a good old back porch conversation about this topic. Uh, my hope is that by the end of the conversation, um, we will have provided some kind of signpost, if you will that points us down a different path, one of abiding rather than managing. Uh, But before we jump into the conversation for today, uh, let's get some updates from the back porch. I have to tell you guys that I did hear from a listener who said they liked this section of us doing these fun updates because it was more fun and brought some levity to something that is otherwise a can be heavy topics. And uh, so Janice, thank you for that comment. And second, I was hurt to the core that you said our conversations were heavy and that we needed levity. No, not at all. I thought that was hysterically funny, true. And I was like, yes. Oh my gosh, that's true. We do need to bring some levity. Anyway, so uh, yeah, let's do some updates. Anybody who feel like they want to go first? Got something pressing on their mind? Hey, this this morning I brought with me my film camera that um, is new to me oh. since Christmas. Um and uh, it's kind of been a new thing for me. I'm not much of a photographer, but I've been getting into the analog, um, you know, niches and some of that that you get down that road and people start talking about film cameras, right? Uh, the the attraction to film being that it's that it has a different quality to it than digital does, but also there's sort of the uh, intentional. Yeah, it's got a worse quality. Sorry. Well, yeah. Well, one of the things, one of the things, the aesthetic is that you never know what your pictures are going to be until you get them developed. And so it's sort of, uh, for many people, they talk about it as like uh, stopping that perfectionistic tendency to like take the picture, look at it, not exactly right. And like, and take a thousand pictures to find the one. Whereas when you're shooting with film, you say, I, I, I lined up the shot and I took it great. I'm, I'm not going to waste another shot on trying to get it. I don't know how it turned out. And, and then they get it back and it's unique and different. And there's light exposure things that all make a, the, a film experience unique, not probably you're right. Like the quality is objectively less than, you know, the higher end digital cameras that we have, but it's sort of like the vibe, the mood that it invites you to be in. Um, and so I went for a walk. It was a couple of weeks ago now, but I went for a walk around uh, Arkansas River, the loop here in downtown. And it was like having a camera with me made me see things differently, right? Like, you know, when you're just going for a walk, like, oh, it's nice. It's a pretty day out. But I was like looking for like compositions and looking for things that would make interesting photos. And it was really cool to see the world differently. And even though it was sort of like a hippy dippy, like, that's, you know, this in this particular brand, I read their pamphlet when I got it for Christmas and is all about that. And I was like, that's ah, ridiculous. Like it was it was neat to kind of like be invited to look at life a little differently than than normal. And so I, I enjoyed that. And I thought that'd be fun to kind of bring up and share. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's there's like a whole nother episode here. Like I, now I want to talk about this instead of what we wanted to talk about, because <laughs> like so many questions of is the, ana- okay, the resurgence of the analog in our current culture, is that, does it actually invite us into less perfectionism and more realism and all the stuff that it promises? Or is it only because it's in contrast to the speed of the digital age and the, the, this, the one-offs and the quick, you know, all the stuff. The fact that with your camera on your digital camera, you can take a thousand pictures, like you said, and you can obsess over it because I seem to remember people who had analog cameras who obsessed over that when that's what they had. And now I just wonder if it's like only in contrast. And then that makes me think, well, maybe that is a good thing. Maybe the contrast is okay anyway. But also, (laughs) also, I stand firm on the fact that analog sucks and digital is better. (laughs) That's just I'm sorry. I don't buy into the analog Records do not sound warmer than CDs. I don't care what you say. 
And I know I just offended like at least five people in our audience. (laughs) It's interesting because I've been down the YouTube rabbit holes on some of these things. And there's a different amount of data being output by these different venues. That's not the right word. Different avenues of media. So there actually, there, there is a difference. I, whether it's qualitative enough to warrant buying into is the question, but yeah. Sorry, I I don't buy it. Matt, Matt, (laughs) one of us is analog. One of us is digital. Where do you land? You got to break. You know, I I see, I see the good in both. I see the good in both. (laughs) I can stand on this fence and be perfectly happy to look, look in both directions and enjoy the view. Um, Yeah. All right. Well, Here's my here's my update. Um, so, Peter, you and I were talking about this. So I wrote this little booklet for um, five prayers that obliterate anxiety. And it's if listeners, if you want to get a hold of it, you can go sign up for our e-newsletter, our e-week, weekly newsletter um, on our website. Uh, it proved to be pretty popular. We got quite a few people looking at it, downloading it, and it was really fun to write. And it was a sort of like weekend project that I did. But the the thing that was so fascinating to me was I started the project in this other software and, and it turned out that it was a beta software and it wasn't working. It was online. But what it forced you to do was you you had the the like nine like the text uh, box. Yeah, the text box that was up and down. I can't remember what the, what the word is for that right now. The portrait form and all you could add was a title. And then the body content. And those boxes were strict on how big they could be and how much text they could hold. And so a little bit like tweeting where you only get a certain number of characters, but more Mm. than that. At any rate, I just found it incredibly, incredibly powerful in the creative process because it forced me to say the stuff I wanted to say in this certain size unless I, and and I just, it was really, really cool. So the product that came out at the end, in my opinion, was way better than like the, the thing I started with the draft that I had in my, to begin with, because man, I was cutting stuff mercilessly. I was cutting lines. I was cutting ideas. I was breaking my ideas up differently so that they would fit on the pages that were given to me so that when the product didn't work, the project didn't work. And I had to go to a different system where I could probably make it as big as I wanted. I actually kept the short version because it was so much better. And I don't know, there's something to this idea of like, you only have this much space. You have to put your ideas in that and you better make sure they're as clear and precise as possible that I found really uh, Hmm. creative, like really energized. I was like, Ooh, this is fun. I got to make it make sense. So anyway, maybe there's something to that where we should create some sort of when you're writing, you ha- you rather than write 500 words, the the assignment should be right should be communicate your idea in no more than a page you can't go over. Ooh, that'd be actually that'd make you write better. Anyway, that's my update. What I'm hearing you say is that perhaps the limitations of something like analog technology <laughs> might actually <laughs> breed creativity. I I I, I, I really. Can't. I recant everything I just said is wrong. I'm, I'm <laughs> give me an infinite canvas. Okay. Honestly, total flip side. There's this software called Figma and they, it's mostly for design, like web design and stuff, but they have another side, which is what they call fig jam. And it's an infinite whiteboard, infinite digital whiteboard, and you can mind map on it and do all kinds of stuff. The truth is that has become one of my favorite places to work. Because I can spread my ideas out over this infinite space. And it's actually where the little thing that I wrote started. And then I had to bring it down to this really tight space. It was great. So there you go. Counterpoint to my point. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, I just uh, I just finished a, an audio book um, by, uh, she's, a, she's a psychologist, Dr. Anna Limke. And it's called, the, the title of the book is Dopamine Nation, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence. Um, and she's, a, she's a, a, a psychologist that deals with people with addictions. And it's just fascinating how she talks about, you know, 
And it kind of breaks down the idea of like some addictions are really bad, whereas other addictions are just, well, that's just that's just overeating or overworking or, or you know, all these different things. There's there's like acceptable addictions and unacceptable addictions. And she kind of just just cuts through all that and talks about how the dopamine in our brain um, is what we're chasing for all kinds of different things. And in the modern era, when we can literally get as much of anything that we want what does that mean for the way that we're evolving as a society, the way that we manage our lives, and whether or not it actually is making us happier? Um, mm. It's it's pretty profound. Um, I will just give one word of warning. Um, it starts off pretty intense, and she does talk about some pretty intense uh, uh, people who are addicted, and it's really messed up their lives. So that's some people might have a hard time getting through certain certain sections of the book, but it really is fascinating. In that, um, we live. I mean, it's 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 very apt and timely because we live in a culture and an age where you can literally get as much of anything that you want. And ironically, digital media is a, is a big part of it. And talking about uh, the struggle that young people have today with managing yeah. social media, managing uh, the amount of things that are coming in, and how you need you sort of need more and more to keep getting that same dopamine hit because. It's just fascinating. It's a it's a what's, phenomenal book. What's the name of the book again? Dopamine Nation. So the chemical in your brain of dopamine, dopamine nation. It's amazing. It's pretty great. Let's uh, Matt, uh, Peter. Let's try to put links into the show note for all these things. Let's like link to your camera on Amazon, links to the Bigma, and links to this book. Um, and and I also just to wrap this section up. I recant my recantant recanting. Now I have to say that, oh my gosh, the digital world is terrible and you're going to get addicted to it. We beat it into him, Matt. We got him. <laughs> we <did> everybody. <laughs> yeah, but okay. Yeah, but the, the if you're listening to this or watching this, now the thing you're going to do is turn it off. So. <laughs> yep. All right. See you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Podcast over. Sorry, I sort of, oh. I tripped that trap, didn't I? We'll just have to make sure this episode is no fun and releases no dopamine for anybody. Oh, I was just going to say, okay, everybody, now we're going to feed your addiction. Here's your next podcast. All right, let's let's actually jump into our topic. Um, Peter, this podcast was kind of your idea, the idea of the gospel of sin management. Um, do you want to take the lead here? Yeah, yeah. So it really was stemming from a conversation you and I were having in the office the other day, Brandon. Um, yeah, I've heard of this um, this language around this idea of the gospel of sin management. And it has kind of painted a picture in my mind that's been evocative. And so it's kind of worked for me as I think about um, when I hear, I guess, you might say alternative gospels or false gospels, really. Mm -hmm. That basically spins on the good news that says this is actually what the good news of Christianity is about. The title, The Gospel of Sin Management, has captured one of the most relatable ones for me. And so I was kind of taking that idea and running with it. Um, so really, I guess the first question probably though for us is to define what the heck, what the heck do we mean? What the heck is meant by the gospel of sin management? And I think it's helpful just even saying an, an alternative title for that would be maybe the self-help gospel. Uh, the good news that says, hey, Jesus on the cross, you know what he did for you and me? He gave me that booster shot and he said, hey, man, you're all good now. Just go live your life. You can do it and gave motivational speech. And now I'm like, I'm off to the races in my Christian life because I, I can do it now. Um, you know, I've, I've got the, uh, the supplement that I needed in order to live this life to the full. And so the rest of my Christian life, the vision of this good news playing out is just me improving and getting better and better and better. And just the upward trajectory of growth and sanctification. And gosh, doesn't that sound awesome? I would love that. I would, I would so love, I would really love for that to be the case for me, you know, who doesn't want to continue to grow and and improve and be more 
holy and uh, a better husband, father, friend, worker, all that stuff. Um, so Peter is the uh, the gospel of sin management or the self help idea. Um, I was kind of thinking about this in regards to our conversation, but also what you're saying now is like, uh, is the thing you're trying to identify this sort of cultural boy, this really is connected to what we were just talking about, right? This kind of cultural idea of um, that just seems it's present in our water almost that everything that we're doing is about gaining something. Mm. So they're really, so Christianity is just another system among all, another thought system among all the thought systems that has a better answer for how to make yourself a better person. Mm. Right. So like, Really, it's sort of like the concession is that that's what we're all doing all the time. We're really trying to become a better person. We're trying to gain more wealth or gain more happiness or gain more respect. And hey, there's a lot of different methods of how to do that. And the gospel that Christianity has to offer is the right one, the best way to do that. Mm. Is that, I mean, is that my onto the thing that you're thinking about? Yeah, I think, I think that rings true to me. Um, yeah, in that sense, the gospel of sin management isn't so far off of what other systems of religion or you know cultural things present. It's just a religious answer to that, um, which therein kind of belies the problem. Mm. It's 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 just like all those other systems which don't actually work. But I found a, a helpful way of kind of distinguishing or or painting the the picture in my mind is like what this good news, the good news of sin management of uh, you can do it is sort of like we're treating Jesus as like a supplement, you know, you take vitamins and supplements, you know, as like that extra little bit. I was, I'm, I'm pretty healthy, but Oh, I I'm deficient in these three vitamins and Jesus gets me that, you know, extra little bit. So that now yeah. I can be healthy versus, yeah. so a supplemental faith in Christ versus like a sustaining faith in Christ where yeah. Christ is like everything, you know, Christ, like the, even the idea of sustenance, right? He is your full like yeah. sustenance. He's not just a supplemental little vitamin that you take to keep going. Yeah, like, but either. I think that goes deeper. I think even what you said there supplemental versus sustenance i still think that could be on the side of sin management that we're kind of being wary of right now because mm -hmm. like that that analogy really strikes home for me because i'm so familiar in our day and age physical health is the god right and what you put into your body and whether you're you know we don't need to pick on that at all it's just that there's this everywhere you look the conversation is about what you eat your diet how much you exercise and it's and the arguments are about what's the best way to eat what's the best way to exercise not about whether the goal is even the right goal or not everybody just assumes that the goal is the right goal like yes i should be physically healthy i should be you know that's like nobody and and if i'm not doing it right then then something's wrong with me and nobody even stops to ask have we, is the end that we're pursuing the right end, the best end, the highest end? And so like when you say supplement versus sustenance, okay, fair enough. But if the sustenance is that which allows you to be strong enough to do, to live a good life. And, you know, the problem is you've just got a little bit of Jesus. You just need to make Jesus your entire workout routine and then you'll be healthy. Mm -hmm. then we're still on the same right. side. We're still dealing with the same problem, which is we've not actually asked the question, is the end I'm aiming at a healthy right end? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that makes sense, but that's where what you were just saying made me think. So their way of hearing supplemental and sustaining faith as just merely one is like, they're, they're mere gradations of, of the, like striving 
that sustenance is like full. I'm fully committed and su supplemental yeah, is like, I, exactly. I only need them a little bit, but they both ultimately are like, I either need a little or a lot. And so that then I can shoulder it and go, you know, live my life. Yeah. I think to me, the, when you were talking about the gospel of sin management or the self-help gospel, actually, I think the self-help gospel idea is kind of connecting for me better now, but which, by the way, thank you to Rachel, your wife, for pointing out that that's a different phrase for it. But it's the argument sort of becomes we, or let's put it this way we've just assumed nobody has even bothered to question that becoming a better moral person, fixing the sins that I think I have, that I have identified, let's be honest as needing to be fixed in me, that's the goal. Like the goal is to become a more healthy moral person in particular in the way that I know culturally and personally I should be better. And the debate is then about what's the best way to do that. And we can really complain, you know, really argue about what the best way to do that. But that debate is useless if the goal is stupid you know like if we're not really pursuing the right goal and i think that's the thing that this has caught my attention about this this idea is that i feel the tension of living in these two worlds everywhere in my life and this is not wrong but everywhere in my life i am evaluated based upon my performance i'm evaluated on my performance as an employee i'm evaluated on my performance as a leadership leader of this organization i'm a evaluated on my performance as a father. I'm evaluated on my performance as a man. I'm evaluated on my performance as a friend. And whether my friends are doing that or not, or my children are doing that or not, I'm doing that. And the language around all of that is constantly, you could be a better father if you did this. You should spend more time this way. You could be a better boss if you did this. You could be a better employee if you did. And there's, and like, I'll, I'll slow down here, but like, that's not wrong. Like in this in this world in which we live, you know, in the horizontal plane, so to speak, amongst others. Yeah, like I can actually fail and I should be there. There is evaluation that can be done. But I think what I think is happening is that economy, if you will, like that way of thinking about things. Is. It makes perfect sense that we would then turn that and say, that's also how God works. And because there's only one arena in our entire lives, I think that operates differently and that's God's and his kingdom operates off of different rules. But it makes perfect sense that we live in a kingdom which operates off of evaluation and performance and improvement as being the means by which you gain anything at all. If you don't work, you don't eat. If you don't improve, you don't get paid. If you don't, you know, but that's not the God's kingdom. I, is that making sense? Certainly. Um, and I think that distinction is at the core of what we want to get to here in this conversation. Um, yeah, I, maybe it's a little bit down the road. I, I think we want to highlight and dig into that. Um, I don't know. I was thinking of some of the, the route to get there. Um, one, I sort of wanted to ask the question of, of us, like, why, why do we find this gospel appealing or do you like, does, do you hear it and go, man, I would really love for that to be reality. And, and then maybe even, and then returning to the question of like, well, is that picture of reality even viable? Is it chasing after the right things, um, to return to that economy conversation that you're, you're bringing up, Brandon, um, if that, that makes sense. Well, and, and I think, I think you're right because on, I felt like we, when we jumped into the conversation, we were already a few steps ahead of, yeah of where we could start because I think on the, on a, I think the very first question is, is wait a second, is this a false gospel? Because there might be some mm -hmm. people who are listening to this, who that's what they've been told. Um, in their churches is, guess what? Jesus bought your salvation. That was his job. Now your job is don't lose it. Um, and therefore, that's that's what they believe 
Christianity is about. And so this concept of, I mean, they may not, there, there may be some people who would never classify the way they see it as, as a gospel of sin management or as a false gospel, but right. it's merely a sense of, well, I, did, I know I didn't earn my salvation. The Bible's clear about that, but I have to keep it. And, by, mm-hmm. and I keep it by keeping the rules and, I, and, and whatever else is emphasized um, in their community. And that's, that's the means of staying saved or saving yourself to a certain extent, you know? And yeah, there's an extension to that too, Matt. And I think that's really helpful to point out. And I want to remind us, the three of us, just as we got into this, Matt, thank you for that. One, it's so easy for this to become like hypercritical and I don't want to become hypercritical. I don't want to sit here and be like, okay, let's fix you. So, you you know, ironically, hey, let's fix your th- theology. You know, you're, <laughs> I don't, we got to be careful of that. I, so I do want to be gentle if, for those listeners or, or viewers who are feeling really defensive at the moment. We're sorry. <laughs> like, <laughs> don't. Hold on and um, know that we'd be happy to hear from you. Like I, I don't if we're if I'm triggering your defense mechanisms right now, or our conversation is triggering those defense mechanisms. We understand we're not we're not telling you that you're not a Christian. <laughs> we're not telling you that you got it wrong. You're out. That that is not what we intend to be doing lest we actually commit the very same sin that I think we're kind of trying to get after here. So stick with us if you can, and please reach out. Well, I think this is where the, I, I really appreciate both your comments and, and why the question that was coming up is like, why, why do we find this appealing? Not in like a critical, like why, what are the defects in us that, you know, draw us to this, but sort of in the compassionate way of like, we, uh, this is, I relate to this gospel, right? Like this isn't something that it, like we're here to put on blast. I, I think it's, it's, we, I might, I feel it's dangerous because it's sneaky because it's so subtle that it slips into my own life so often. That's why I'm like, might have a little bit of passion about it. Cause I'm like, oh, I see it all the time slipping in, but it's also like, oh, I see it all the time. Like this isn't something external that I, that I view in culture and go, I can't believe people are backsliding on the gospel. It's it's a in me in my own heart conversation. Yeah, and I just I th- that's I think you're absolutely right. That's the direction to go because it's like I just had a conversation with a friend about this yesterday. That however we might critique, define, or be frustrated with the way the gospel of sin management is preached out there, my actual experience of it is that I believe it constantly. Like, I, I think I know the right gospel, but the reality is I watch myself and I'm constantly like evaluating myself and I'm constantly sort of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus loves me, but you know, I need to really suck it up. And I, you know, I got hit this last week, which is just sort of like ego slam uh, punched in the gut because I felt like I wasn't doing a very good job at things. And the thing that punched me even harder was that I noticed that my ego got slammed. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have a freaking ego. I really want to be respected. And so like, there's this immense amount of shame that I felt over feeling like I had been failing. And I was like, I shouldn't even feel that way anymore. And to me, that's where I'm resonating with this. Yeah, this is, this is not a problem of teaching. This is a problem of human existence. We, you can tell me all day long that God doesn't evaluate me on my behavior and loves me anyway. And I, my, my heart still goes, yeah, but, but no, but I do evaluate. I, it is my behavior that matters. And I, I feel that. Absolutely. The tension is so much more an internal one than a dangers from without, you know, that we're defending against. My heart wants, I guess the way I'd say it is, I find that my heart wants two things desperately and with equal passion, with equal force. I desperately want the gospel to be 
objective and external. Jesus just loves me, period, prior to anything I've ever done, regardless of anything I've ever done, and forgives me and loves me and wants me to be with him and adopts me. That's what I want. Because I know me and I suck. So I want an, I want an escape from the evaluative framework. But with equal force and with equal strength, I also desperately want the gospel to be, hey, I'm going to help you make yourself a perfect person that I can love because I desperately want it to be possible for me to be able to do it. And I feel those both with like equal force. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Matt, turning the question to that sort of like... Personal sense of how, how do you, how does this manifest for you? How does this feel for you um, in your personal experience of this? Well, I mean, yeah, I can completely relate to what you were saying, Peter, about this. This sneaks its way into my heart all the time, um, and this, and I actually, for for me, the the rescue comes in whenever I do actually. Uh, take my my eyes off myself and my performance and I and I refocus and, and put the cross back in my vision and look at Christ because um and, and and I guess on a certain this might be a little bit of a a little bit of a different angle on it but for me um I find myself because I don't think I don't I don't think I've ever deluded myself to the point where I think I'm gonna be able to make my my internal self perfect but I can maybe manage my image enough where other people will think well of me and other people are going to say, ah, there's a, there's a good Christian man. And I'll actually earn approval and, and, um, acceptance because of my works of righteousness. Um, and man, that's such a trap because it's, it's, it's so easy to not even realize you're doing that. And you know, it's a grace when you fall flat on your face in that. And then you recognize, oh yeah, I was actually trying <laughs> right. to please man and trying to, yeah. and trying to earn a, some sort of righteousness in my own flesh. And I failed miserably. And now I can dust myself off and remember again that it's actually, it's actually Christ, not me. Yeah. Matt, mm -hmm. you're a, you're a better man than me then because I'm realizing as you're speaking, and I'm that's tongue in cheek, right? But I realized that as you're speaking, I actually, I actually think I can transform and manage my inner man through transforming and managing my the image you have of me. Like that's like I actually think, you know, I mean, I don't. Okay, I don't actually think that, but I recognize that pattern happening in my life. Like I'm trying to manage your perception of me constantly. And some part of me thinks that that's the right way to transform my inner being too. Like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, if you all think I'm that way, I'll get there. <laughs> I don't know. But, oh, dude. And it hurts when you say that it's a grace when we get fail. Yeah. Like, it is, but that, please spare me from that grace, Lord. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But what I'm hearing in both of how uh, you guys have shared and what resonates so deep with me is there's... um what we as humans have is a core need for security. And so our perception of what is good news is something that meets that core need. And the reason why I feel that this good news of sin management is appealing is because it offers me something I can do in order to achieve security. You know, mm -hmm. I, if I can measure, you know, and say, okay, well, I'm growing here, here, and here, somehow I think that that's going to get me the security I desperately want. Um, because grace, a free gift, feels too good to be true, right? It's like, mm -hmm. I can't possibly be secure in Christ just because, like, what if he changes his mind? I didn't deserve it. So he could take it away, certainly, right? I, like, I get fearful. And it's like, when, so, when the option is presented about, well, if you want security, do X, Y, and Z to keep growing in your Christian faith. I'm like, yes. Okay, good. Like it, it's, yes. I, at least, I, I rarely feel the security that is promised, though. But but the image right. of do this in order to then know you're on the right track and acceptable and loved and safe, 
is like, okay, like that, man, that's such a knee-jerk response to be like, yes, okay, what, what, what should I do? Tell me, I want to be secure. I think you're onto something super deep there, Peter, because I've been thinking about this lately too, that we're not addicted to control as is sometimes stated. It's not, the desire for control is not our central problem. Rather, we desire and are addicted to control, if you want to say it that way, because we want security, we want affirmation. You know, it's it's back to Peter, you, you know, you published a sermon on our blog not too long ago. Now you quoted the Kurt Thompson, we all are born into this world looking for somebody looking for us. And that the central motivator for humans is to be delighted in, for somebody to love me, to know me, to accept me, for me to be valuable and worthwhile well in a broken fallen world we we are we gravitate so quickly to control mechanisms to secure that love what we and and you're right it, it, it if you can look at it objectively for a moment it doesn't work it can't work by definition <laughs> because if i control and force your love it's not love but that's, but I think, you know, it's not that we're just inherently desirous of control. What we're inherently desirous of is somebody to love me, for me to be acceptable, for me to be secure. And Satan's massive lie is, I'll give you that. If you, you know, here's the way to get to it. Take charge yourself. You control everything, then you can guarantee you get that. And that doesn't work. Yeah. Well, and I think it's worth also acknowledging that this this false gospel comes in in many forms and it exists in the world in the in the form of performance and perfection. Um, I've known people who are are not believers at all, um, but their concept of I'm good when I when I'm successful, when I achieve my goals and when I meet my um, meet my own standards. And this and um, and and I'm better than others is another a big part of that is like I'm not at the bottom I'm winning and um, that's another that's it's a it's another form of deluding ourselves to our the true condition that we actually are in. Yeah, I think this is a perfect segue sort of into the question, um, like is this vision of reality is this good news even possible? Right, we were touching a little bit on this as we were chatting just now, but, and maybe these two questions I have here are two sides of the same coin, but like one is this gospel of sin management, uh, the the self-help gospel, is it even possible, right? Is this picture of reality real? Um, And then on the other side, when we buy into it, what are we, what is the reality that was real that we're missing because we're turning our gaze towards something that is not real. Yeah, I think, well, you know, where that makes my mind go is that first maybe define, you know, we're, we're way into this conversation, but maybe defining some terms a little bit would be helpful. Like, um, gospel, the good news of salvation, right? So we're using the term here a little bit differently, I think. So, because the answer to your question is sort of obvious if that's what we mean by gospel. What's the good news of how we're saved? Um, No, it's not possible to save yourself through managing your sin or changing your external behavior or doing doing enough to please God. And we could get into that theologically if we need to, but, but I think we're actually talking about something a little bit bigger, which is the sense we have that really what we should be doing is improving ourselves. And it's not even really about salvation per se. It's more about my felt need to constantly be improving myself. And I think the question we're sort of asking is, how does the true gospel and the true relationship we have with God intersect with that and help us think differently about it? Because I guess I'm just saying it's too easy to say, no, 
the gospel of works doesn't work. Yeah, <laughs> but that's fair. But that and that doesn't but that doesn't address the question I feel like I'm struggling with in this conversation, which is like, okay, fine, sure. I know that accurately speaking, I'm not saved by works. But I really feel like I've got to be getting better. Like, and if I'm not getting better, then something's really, really, really wrong with me, with God, with the world, with everything. And so in that way of feeling the true gospel, that it's free, feels like a nice fairy tale. It feels like a nice thing that I learned when I was five, but has no relevance for my actual mm. concerns. Like my actual concern is how do I become a better man? Not does God give me free, free grace, save salvation. Ooh. Well, and, and I think, I think on a certain level, there is a, I think there, that, that inner drive, there is a root that is, that is true to that. And that is that we are promised in scripture, this, this abundant life, right? And, and I think there's so many of us that when we read that, we will be inherently have to say to ourselves, well, then what's wrong with me? Because I've accepted Christ and I'm, and I believe this, but I don't feel abundant live life. You know, I, I, I do still feel an impoverishment in my spirit. I do still feel that, um, I, I still, my flesh still wants to chase after my empty cisterns and idols and all the things that I've always worshiped. Mm -hmm. Right. So, mm -hmm. so there is a, I think a kernel of truth in there that says, just like you were saying, Brandon, that there is, there is a sense of I'm, I'm here and I know there's more. How do I get, yeah. how do I get there? How do I get there? Yeah. And I would just throw in that's back to what I was feeling like earlier. One of the missteps that I've felt myself take on answering that question, Matt, I know there's more God, God promises abundant life. I don't feel like I have it. At least one of the missteps is I don't pause to think that I may not know what abundant life means. I just assume that it's yeah. feeling a lot of peace, feeling a lot of happiness, having success as a dad, having success in my business, having my needs cared for physically. Like I just assume that's what it means. And I rarely pause to wonder, maybe I actually have it. It's just not what I thought it uh, was supposed to be. <laughs> uh, that's a really interesting dynamic. It reminds me of your conversation with Peter Mawish about, I, I think you, I can't remember you phrased it as, abundant life or true life. Um, mm. But I remember when I was listening through that conversation, that was the part that really captivated me because it was like, oh man, if you haven't listened to that interview, there's so much there. Peter is really smart and it, it goes to so many places, but there's a, some really awesome insights there. Um, I'll, yeah, go check it out. It's, yeah, we it's should really link that cool. in the show notes yeah, too. Yeah, I absolutely will. But in, in light of that, I don't know, does that spark any thoughts for you, Brandon, ping-ponging off of that conversation about true life, abundant life? It's sort of the same thought, and I, that's probably where it's coming from is similar conversations and stuff with with people like Peter. The I, I, I just notice over and over and over again how for myself the old man the fallen desires and definitions and expectations just keep getting transported in right I, so it's like very practically um the, the conversation of don't be anxious because you know there's the passage where jesus says don't be anxious um your father knows that you need the physical necessities of life, right? Don't worry about what you will eat or what you will wear. God knows you need those things. Look, consider the birds. They don't store up in their grain houses and God provides for them. Consider the lilies. They don't spin and create clothing and yet God clothes them. And how much more important than all of those things are you? And what I notice immediately is the question that my kids have asked that I have asked, which is like, that's all nice words, but there are homeless people. And there's, and the only thing stopping me from being homeless is that I do work. 
<laughs> that pays. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that's why people are homeless. I'm just saying that that like like you hear Jesus say that, and my my response is, you pro okay. So it but it'd be stupid to not store up money because that we know what happens if you don't. Mm-hmm. So what do I do with those words of Jesus then? And I think that's the distinction. It's like Jesus can't be promising there that if you don't worry, you will always have food on your table. You will always have clothing on your back. You will always have money in your bank account because that's not what always happens to Christians. And, you know, Job is a really great example of the exact opposite of that idea happening, not to mention all of the people we know. So for me, that belies my understanding of what abundant life is and what I, sh- the, the measurement by which I should be measuring my success as a Christian or whatever else is somehow wrong. Because I'll try to make this wrap this up with that. Because if I were to p- apply my kind of fallen way of thinking, then what I would I would interpret Jesus's words as saying, if I don't worry and I seek first the kingdom of God, whatever that means, which I think most of the time we think it means becoming a more moral person externally, then I'll always have food and I'll always have the money I need, and God will never let me go without. But that's not what that means. So grapple with that for a minute. How is it true that God is actually always providing for our daily bread and our basic needs? And I could also be homeless. I could also be penniless. Mm. And I could still not worry. I don't know. Did that make sense? Do you see like the, I'm connecting the, my success as a Christian with a false definition of abundant life. That is, I have everything I need physically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, that is such a, I think that so often goes unexamined, exactly what you're saying. When we think abundant life there, and maybe it's different for you listeners, but I'm relating to, I have downloaded assumptions that say abundant life means I have, you know, I'm well taken care of, but I'm also like, I'm experiencing the moral perfection that you know this growth this upward trajectory and i go oh man this is abundant life because i feel good i'm growing and everything's working you know everything's firing on all cylinders mm-hmm. and i just think that's really valuable brandon to point out that that's an assumption that you're looking at scripture and say that can't possibly be what jesus means because faithful christians who love and trust jesus don't experience that type of life mm-hmm. so or 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 take it to where you're going, Peter. Um, I heard. Uh, actually, we're gonna have. I have an interview lined up with the girl, uh, the woman who wrote this book. Uh, there's a book called Emotions and the Gospel, and I've been listening to her podcast a little bit. And she, uh, it, she pointed out recently on an episode. Her name is Heidi Gaiman, and she pointed out on an episode that when we talk about happiness culturally, what we generally mean is something more like peace, like comfort, um, satisfaction, contentment, Mm -hmm. even, you know, we don't actually mean like, I feel great because none of us really want that all the time. What we're saying is I want a general stability in my life. Mm. Okay. Fair enough. I want that. But I think when we read a passage like, uh, you know, is, is it Philippians that talk, is it Philippians? The, the the famous one that says basically um uh in everything give thanks and then the peace of god uh will be with you uh we tend to gloss over the peace that surpasses understanding we tend to like peace ah oh, who i want peace and kind of what we mean by that is this lack of anxiety lack of physical troubles lack of fear in the world lack and mm. and and the Bible says peace that surpasses understanding. <laughs> and in my existence, I've had to add to that the peace that surpasses understanding and feeling. There's a peace, I think, that's being offered 
that I may not be experiencing currently as comfort, contentment, but I still have it. And Mm. through the eyes of faith, it exists. But it may, in this present moment, feel like intense fear and anxiety. You guys feel like this is the uh, a logical next step here in our conversation. I'm curious, as we were relating a bit before, sharing a bit more personally, how do we feel this gospel of sin management, right? And what, how can we relate to that desire? I feel like sort of the question is, well, these are all the same desires and stuff we're having. In those times and moments for us when we've been able to uh, accept and and consent to the reality of of the real good news, the the gospel. How how has that felt for you? And does that meet those needs for security? Like I'm wondering if kind of the flip side to that conversation about sharing personally about the relating to the gospel of sin management. What does it what does it feel like? I hear what you're saying, Brandon. We don't live in that life all the time where we just always have that peace but i've had i've had times in life where i feel like god has given me a distinct awareness of and of of the gospel and of his gift and and it's it has had effect is that a fruitful way to go with this or even kind of land the conversation i i know that so in saying what i just said i find that i find comfort in it that's to answer your question, which is, so here's the like irony to that, which is for me, I've discovered it releases the pressure that the evaluative mode is always sort of assuming. So when I'm able to read the piece that surpasses all understanding or Jesus's words about don't be anxious because my father know your father knows you need these things. I hear it more like there is a grander, bigger perspective. There is a more real um, facet of reality. And there is a longer term view that God has in mind. And so, yes, he is actually providing for your and my needs even if that means I don't have the money I need this month. That kind of back to what Matt was saying, like there's a weird grace in that and that's a good thing for me right now and it doesn't feel pleasant for the moment and it may even really feel terrible. But I, I, but that's okay. Like the release of pressure I have is, and that's okay. My belief that God is still caring for my needs, my confidence that he is still caring for my needs, that I'm still secure can remain unshaken. And it doesn't really matter that I feel scared, <laughs> you know, like, or that I, you know, there is a peace, one that's coming, one that exists now, that even when I don't feel peaceful in my normal sense at all, is still present and I can trust it. And so I have that pressure release. It's like, yeah, I don't, I don't have to, I don't have to feel the peace. It's still there. Mm. It it sounds like it's the comfort of being able to ignore all the filters and criteria that would say I'm okay, and simply being like, though, okay, though I don't, those matter, but. The comfort that I'm hearing you say is like, but but that's not the, there is a bedrock reality that exists underneath all of those things that never changes, that somehow in the grand scheme, the long term, that I matter to God and he's going to take care of me. Okay. All the warning signs on the dashboard might be beep, flashing, but I know that I'm okay in some way. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's the core, the core need for security is met by a reality that cannot be changed no matter what. And my feelings about that are all over the flipping map. And my 
experience of that core truth, that bedrock reality that can never be changed, that God delights in me as his beloved son. You know, I, I'm experiencing it or not experiencing it wildly changing throughout my life. And there are periods of time which I don't feel like it's true at all. Mm -hmm. And the temptations from outside, you know, I'm thinking of Jesus going into the desert immediately after being told he is the beloved son of God. The temptations from the outside come thick and hard sometimes. The temptations from the inside come thick and hard sometimes. And through it all, there's just, I, I guess the message I would give is like, that's okay. It doesn't change the reality. <laughs> like it just the fact that God delights in you because he loves you. Your experience of it. I pray that we all have more experience of it, but it's, but it's irrelevant to the reality of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, Matt, any thoughts? How is this landing with you? Well, one of the things that it, I mean, it occurs to me, um, listening to you, Brandon, is this is, and it's, it's not necessarily explicitly related to this, but I think it's something that does keep coming up over and over and over. And I think the way it relates to this is the understanding that, you know, the, um, this Christian life that we receive by faith is not a, a, a once a one-time act. We don't exercise our faith once and, and receive our salvation. And then we're done living by faith. Living by faith is a day by day, moment by moment experience. Um, and, you know, going back to the Sermon on the Mount there that we talk about, and he's talking about, um, what did you just do, Peter? He just had balloons. That was awesome. What? Yeah, balloons flew up in your office. <laughs> you have the, you have the, oh, no, it's, it's, it's the Zoom. Um, oh, if you make a gesture, things pop yeah, up. They, apparently they're turning this on. Okay, sorry, we just totally interrupted everything. Did it just apparently, thumbs up? Zoom has turned to this this gesture thing on like automatically and you have to like actively turn it off, which is, I'm telling you is hysterical in meetings that I've been in lately. I I've turned it off on mine, but it's hysterical because people don't even know that it's on and they'll like give it and then this stupid animation plays. Well, I, I don't even have my, I've got my self view hidden. So I, I'm, I didn't see anything and you guys are just like, what I, are you doing? Wow. I'm like, oh, what's going on? Now we have to spend the rest of this time figuring out what gesture it is you made that caused the, anyway, yeah. sorry. I take it as him being so on board with what I was just saying. Yeah. It was perfectly timed. <laughs> Exploded in celebration to the wisdom. Do, yeah, absolutely. Do not cut this out of the podcast. It needs to be up there. <laughs> no, no, this can, this can go. This can go. I don't even remember what we were talking about. I'm but, sorry for unintentionally distracting you. <laughs> okay. I, I, I I think I can wrap. Yeah, I, I don't know if land this wraps the plane. It. Yeah, I don't know if this lands the plane or opens another topic. But kind of following on what Matt said, as I was preparing for this particular episode, asking the question, "What's the alternative to the gospel of sin management or the or the self help mentality of the gospel?" led me to the uh, to the one of the key themes of the gospel of John, which is dwelling or abiding. And I think that's kind of a good summary of where we are in this conversation to point out, for example, and this was really fascinating. The I read a sermon in which the text was John 1, 38 and the surrounding verses, which seems totally unrelated until you connect it with the theme of abiding in in the entire Gospel of John. Because so John one thirty eight, uh, it, early in Jesus's ministry, calling the disciples, right, and he's been baptized by the uh, uh, John the Baptist, and so um, he comes back to the river. A couple of John's disciples see Jesus, ask who it is. John says that he's he's the son of God. I saw the, the Holy spirit descend upon him like a dove and stay there. And that's going to be important <laughs> anyway. So they follow Jesus 
And here's John 138. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Which totally innocuous. Hey, where are you? You know, where are you living? But the word staying there or is the same word throughout John that means abide or dwell. Mm -hmm. And it goes on to say they stayed with him for a couple of days. And then eventually, of course, they end up staying with him the whole time. Running. Well, that's also the same word that he, that uh, John the Baptist says when he saw the spirit of God descend upon Jesus like a dove and stay with him, like dwell on him. Okay, to wrap it up, that's the, I think, the alternative. To dwell with Jesus. To abide with Jesus. And that doesn't mean abiding in Christ, which we can so quickly twist that to mean, let's evaluate your abiding based upon your behavior. How well are you abiding? But if you really think about it, nobody evaluates how well are you staying in your house? You know, it's like it's abiding is the is the flip of behavior, the flip of effort. It's Mary and Martha all over again, right? It's just being with Jesus, just looking at Jesus, trusting Jesus. And that's Mac, what I heard you saying, right? Faith is not this one and done, and now I have to work at it. Faith really is the, the consistent turning of my attention to the ever-present delight work of Jesus on my behalf. You know? Like, what we are invited into in the true gospel is Jesus has done and is currently doing all the work. You know, he's out in the field hoeing and planting and reaping. And all you ever really are asked to do is just let him do it. Mm -hmm. Sit on the side of the field and watch, watch him do it. Final thing. It reminds me a little bit of when I was a very young child. Like four or five years old watching my dad mow the lawn. Like I, I literally would simply sit on the driveway and watch him mow. Cause I can't. Hmm. And that's really all there is to it. And then I, you know, I haven't, there's a picture of this somewhere in a childhood album. Um, a mom, somebody bought me a bubble mower. And I had the roarinest good time walking right behind my dad as he was mowing the lawn with my bubble mower. And my bubble mower was doing nothing. <laughs> but boy, did I think I was mowing the lawn. And I think that's just a really great image of like the Christian life of sanctification or whatever else. It's like, you ain't doing nothing. You got a bubble mower, my friend. But it's a glorious good romp. And Follow Jesus. It's fine. <laughs> that's yep. that's an awesome image. I love that. It there's there's been a little turn of phrase that um has stuck with me for the past couple of years as I feel like God has been showing me different things. But and it kind of relates to this topic where where it says, like, I would say I used to think that Christian maturity meant a growing sense of independence and improvement. But now I know that Christian maturity is depending solely on Jesus. And with that image of just like being right behind him, which is what Jesus coaches us to do with the father, right? He says, I don't do anything of my own accord. I'll just look to the father and do what he is doing. And I love that image of Growing to be more like Christ is not growing to be more morally perfect, but it's growing to be more like, oh yeah, I don't do anything. I don't rely on anything that I can do. I just look to Jesus and just follow with my bubble mower behind him. And that that is faithful. That is dependence. And it 
seems so topsy-turvy and like it's, but it's, I don't know. It's something about that feels whole. And if you want to know, which this, this is a real threat to now taking everything back, but it's true. That is the path to moral improvement. The, the path to having a better character, to becoming, to defeating quote unquote sins, small s sins in your life is to stop trying to do it and just follow Jesus. <laughs> you know, I mean, the paradox is he's going to do it for you. If you just follow him, then the transformation and all the stuff you want will happen. But you kind of have to, you really, if you want a work to do, the work is to stop thinking about whether you're going to get transformed or not, or whether you're being transformed or not, or whether it's enough transformation or not. And you just let that go, go goal go entirely, you know? Stop focusing on yourself and focus on Jesus. It's amazing how well that, that paradigm just works. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I do, we do, we should wrap it up here. I don't know how long this one will be. I don't know if, if this one will be fruitful or useful for anybody, but we're not going to worry about that. So, uh, <laughs> listeners, we appreciate you. Thanks for, uh, putting up with us and enjoying what we're putting out. We love doing this. Would you please, uh, give us a rating on your favorite podcast platform that genuinely helps us. We, we would love it if you would just go pop onto iTunes and, or whatever it is these days and say five stars, love the show, um, or any platform you're on. Um, and please send us to a friend. We'd love that too. We, we kind of celebration, like, I think I got a little ahead of myself, but we've, we are either right at or, or have hit 10,000 downloads across our platforms, which is pretty freaking amazing. Like I, I never even, you know, I was going to be happy with like 10 people listening, but, you know, we've, we've, we've done well. So folks, thank you. Thanks for listening. Shoot us an email, uh, reach out, tell us what you think. Um, we'd love to hear from you, ask your questions, things like that. All right. Thank you guys. Um, may the grace of Christ go with you wherever the road takes you. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of Signpost In, a nonprofit Christian ministry dedicated to helping people connect with God and find direction. We offer spiritual direction, retreats, and lots of other resources like this podcast. Please visit us at signpostin.org to learn more. We especially want to thank our generous donors who support our work and keep this podcast going. If you've benefited from something you've heard on this show, please consider supporting us by making a tax-deductible gift at signpostin.org donate. That's signpostin.org slash donate. And thank you. Thank you.